nothing. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Squat Cobbler, episode 76. I'm Kelly Tool at K-E-L-L-Y-T-H-U-L on Twitter. And I am Mike at Official Pagan on everything, especially Instagram. And I'm just hoping, you know, after Kelly taking us off on all those wild tangents last time, that we can keep this one a little more concise. This is going to be laser-focused, maybe. <laughs> we'll see how it goes, but we'll give it a shot. If you are a, a loyal squatty, and if you are, thank you. Gosh, Mike, last episode we recorded, what did we forget to do? Courage, people, oh, that's right. So we probably don't have a lot of people <laughs> who are here listening to this because we kind of forget to, to ask people to subscribe. But if you happen to have stumbled across us, you know that one of the things that Mike and I really enjoy doing is talking about music. We did the entire Alice Cooper catalog. That was really fun. We've been doing prisoner exchanges where each of us have been sharing albums that we're not familiar with the other and uh, kind of learning, getting exposed to some new stuff. And those have all gone really well and have been fun. And because we do just like talking music, uh, we decided that London Calling by The Clash wouldn't fit Prisoner Exchange because both Mike and I have very good familiarity with it. But we did think it'd be a pretty fun album to to spend a little bit of time doing our track by track uh, review. So we'll do we'll do other ones of these later. Uh, would love recommendations from folks if there's something you'd like to hear Mike and I go through and do a musical autopsy on. We, we'd be more than happy to to do so. Any thoughts before we get started with the album art, Mike? So this is one of those albums that you always see listed on people's, you know, top albums. Any magazine that does, you know, the top 100 rock albums or top 50 punk albums or top whatever. This is just one of those albums that is unanimously considered a classic. For good reason. <laughs> I think it's, it's a, it is a really impressive work. It does very frequently make the top. I forget where Rolling Stone had. I think it had they had it possibly like number eight on their top 200 or something like that. It was The Clash's third album followed Give Them Enough Rope, which actually was produced by the Blue Oyster Colts producer. Kind of an interesting combination here, uh, there rather. Some consider it a post-punk album. I know The Clash is considered a punk band, but they're not Sex Pistols punk and they never really were. And by their third album, you get this here, which is decidedly, it still has much of the energy and rawness of punk, but this is to me far from a punk album. Absolutely. And I, I've seen so many things calling this a post-punk album. The term, so I, I disagree with that and I'm about to contradict myself in a minute, but overall I disagree with that. And I'm not super fond of the term post-punk as anybody who's listened to me rant about it before knows. Um, so post-punk, for anyone who doesn't know, is proto, sort the mini scene that, that was sort of like proto-goth music, like the more atmospheric stuff that came after punk that gave birth to New Wave and goth and all that kind of stuff. I personally do not think this falls into that category. But like Kelly said, it's also, while The Clash are, I guess, a punk band or were a punk band, they're not punk in the vein of the Sex Pistols. And they're certainly not punk in the vein of, trying to think of another contemporary there, say The Misfits. So to me, they always just kind of stood on their own. But one place I would never fit them would be post-punk. And I'm about to contradict myself. But in general, I would not consider this a post-punk release or them a post-punk band. I'd agree. And there's, I mean, this you're going to get on this album, ska, reggae, 60s. 50s kind of types of things straight up rock kind of to degree defies categorization outside of just pretty good rock and roll yeah i like that just good rock and roll double album set clash like to give people their money's worth and we'll just uh well before we get started uh album art what were your thoughts of the album art for uh, cover for uh 
London Calling Mike. So it, it's iconic. It, it's one of it's one of those albums. I'm not going to say it's as far as. So are you familiar at all uh, with Joy Division? Vaguely. <laughs> okay, we will be more familiar with them. Hint at a future prisoner exchange. So Joy Division's first full length. They the album cover of that is so iconic that they're dozens of memes about the fact that you see all these people with t-shirts with that image on it who don't even know it's an album it's just this iconic design on it and i feel like this is almost that same level of iconic if it didn't say the clash london calling on it like it was just the image of the guitar coming down i i think i've seen this on so many people who probably don't listen to the clash they just know it's an iconic image and are, are trying to to latch on to that. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe the uh, the title is modeled after an Elvis record, right? That's correct. Yeah, it's that interesting combination of the grainy black and white iconic image of the guitar coming down and then pastel uh, tropical coloring uh, lettering that is basically a straight lift from an Elvis, an Elvis Presley album. To me, a great album cover. Absolutely. One of the best, I would say. And the album's called London Calling, and the first track's called London Calling. We've established in past um, music discussions that Mike and I are both kind of first song guys. Those are It's an important moment for us as we kind of get into something. Uh, London Calling doesn't disappoint. It really sets the tone for the rest of the the album. Most of this album, Joe Strummer's handling the lead vocals as as he did often. Always some magic occurs when it's Joe and Mick Mick Jones uh, exchanging leads as well. A nice combination there. But he's howling, he's he's yelping. <laughs> it's uh, Peyton, a London's drowning, and I live by the river. And it's just kind of an ominous, really powerful song to start the album off. So remember everything I said where I said this is not a post-punk band or a post-punk album? I remember that. So this is kind of a post-punk song, but it's really the only one. So this is why I don't consider them... Like I, I feel like the tag post-punk gets associated with them a lot because of this one song. And it is, it's ominous and atmospheric and has the punk elements to it. So it is a post-punk song. But And you can clearly see its influence on what became goth after this and it's a post-punk song but this is where it stops so don't they're not a post-punk band i disagree with all of that i feel like that term is applied a lot and very liberally to a band that is way more influenced by reggae and ska and dub music and things like that than they are anything that has to do with post-punk music but this is a post-punk song, and it's a great song, super song. I mean, if you're, it captures the Clash. I mean, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna pick a song and say, "Here's the Clash," "London Calling" is just about as good as it gets to kind of capture all that is the Clash. Which is then interesting because then we swing into actually it was a Vince Taylor. So most almost everything on this album was written by Joe Strummer and Mick Jones. Uh, we'll we'll hit on the ones that weren't. Um, this next one, "Brand New Cadillac," is one that was not. It's actually written by Vince Taylor, and this gets into almost rockabilly. So it's Joe Strummer, not uh, a noted rockabilly voice <laughs> in, the, in the world, but it's Clash meets rockabilly, and it's pretty fun and it's pretty good, and it rips right right through. A really strong guitar in it, not the kind of guitar we were hearing in London Calling, but still powerful. And sometimes I think rockabilly can feel maybe a little bit light. Uh, this doesn't feel light. This feels powerful to me. And so London Calling, super strong, brand new Cadillac. They keep the uh, the foot on the gas as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, this is a really good song. I'm not a big rockabilly guy. Nothing against any of the rockabilly bands that are out there. Uh, there's some really great stuff, but I'm not super well versed in that scene. But 
you know, this was something that before I was aware that rockabilly was a thing, I enjoyed this song. So, and again, this goes to, you know, the first song was kind of post-punk. This one, it's kind of rockabilly. I feel like if this were to come out now, and this is something I'm going to get into later in a few songs, but if this were to come out now, people would see this as an album of a band who's trying to align themselves with certain trends and certain music scenes when really because of the when this came out this is what influenced those bands and those scenes that came afterwards Uh, couldn't agree more and we get out of the cadillac and we go into jimmy jazz and so three songs three pretty different vibes on on these three songs so we had the post-punk we go into rockabilly and i'll be interested i don't really know how to capture what this is i it is not post-punk and it is not rockabilly <laughs> i know that those are uh, true statements <laughs> yeah so it's neither of those a little slower tempo certainly not a ballad or anything there but it's it's not doesn't have the the urgency of of the first two songs i, I enjoy this song I, I like it quite a bit there are a lot of songs that on this album that i just completely love this is one that doesn't kind of fall to that but there's there's no dislike anything there's nothing ever comes close to a skip on this album ever i think joe's vocal delivery on this one's playful and fun but again it was just you've gone three songs three different three different feels so far completely agree with kelly on all of that um i'm not 100 sure how to classify this song there is no skips on this album for me this isn't my favorite song but it's nowhere near a skip for me. And my favorite part of this song is the vocal delivery, that even more exaggerated slur to the delivery of the vocal. Yeah, so as you're going through this album, you're hearing really good stuff. It's all all fun, and but it's just, and it's not disorienting, but it's just, it's kind of one of the special things about this album is that kind of every every moment you're getting something that's a little bit different. So now we move into Hateful, uh, which is the the next song, which is, I would say, the peppiest rendition of a song called Hateful I've ever heard. And uh, almost you get, you're almost getting kind of a ska thing going in there, I'd, I'd say, to a degree. Joe's killing it on the vocals. You're getting a little bit of Mick uh, in on this, particularly on uh, the, uh, the choruses where they kind of build up and they build up and it gets louder. It is just another kind of fast-paced really fun strong song one of the my my favorites on the album yeah it's really the energy of this song that always sticks out with me it's just so much fun to listen to even though it's called hateful and listening to the lyrics and how they don't quite mesh with the idea of this super upbeat tempo of the song the energy of the song is great and that i guess in a way more punk in that sense than some of the other stuff is yeah i'd say it has more of that in it for sure I'm going to move to the last song on side one, which is Rudy Can't Fail, which is a song you cannot listen to and not smile. It is, uh, it's just a joyful execution of a great rock song. This whole side, while being very diverse, all fits together. This makes perfect logical sense as, okay, this is, I can get this being the next song. It is another pretty profound shift in tone. You're getting a lot of these big choruses, call and answer kind of stuff that's really really cool but if you've never heard rudy can't fail by the clash it's you're missing something so kelly mike (laughs) have you ever seen the movie halloween the original john carpenter movie yes i have okay (laughs) remember the no tangents thing (laughs) it's all right we we almost made it through a whole side without a tangent so that might might be a personal best yeah it's time so I kind of touched on this a few tracks ago, but this was the one that I really wanted to delve a little bit more into it with. So if you didn't grow up watching John Carpenter movies, if you just saw, if you were younger and you just saw Halloween now, 
Halloween isn't going to be special to you the way it is for people who grew up watching it. To a kid seeing it now, it's just a very by the numbers, very stereotypical slasher movie because people who didn't grow up with it don't realize that that's what influenced all of the slash, the waves of slasher movies that came after it. That set the tone for what became all the slasher movies. And at this point in the album, I feel like if you've never heard the clash before, as I started to mention before, you're going to think they're just trying to align themselves with certain genres and certain scenes of music when really the clash is a band and particularly this album influenced to a great degree those scenes whether it was punk and rockabilly and ska and a lot of the stuff that came out of that and all the little offshoots of that and i think that this song in particular like this is a song that i can imagine coming from a dozen other bands that came after the clash yeah i could i could see that because i mean there's that energy it really kind of kind of pops and and i could you could see any kind of number of bands that are saying hey we really want to come out be high energy uh, really kind of drive some things through, have some kind of soaring vocals pick into it and have a little bit of the, you know, I'm hitting into it like a reggae influence a little bit as well. You could see it. I, while I think a lot of bands could execute something that sounds like it, I just think it's really hard to, to replicate the kind of Joe Strummer, Mick Jones. I wouldn't really even call it harmony, <laughs> but how their two voices kind of intertwine and contrast against each other i think established before i'm a pretty big mark for joe strummer big big fan of his and so uh, i always kind of enjoy his stuff but but i could definitely see bands executing this a song like this but i'm not sure many of them could could sing it like joe oh absolutely i and i didn't mean to suggest that the bands who who delve or dabble into these styles now are as good as the clash just that you hear similar things coming out today that are really bands and i i don't think younger fans might understand it's bands aping the things that the clash have already done and usually better also i do take notes for these things and, and kelly does as well so for anybody listening i wrote make halloween analogy but sometimes when i'm writing really fast on my phone I shorten things. So as I was going through my notes, when I got to this one, I was a little thrown for a second because it says make Halloween anal. And we have our second hat. <laughs> we established in our last show that Mike and I will be marketing at some point, make America bacon again. I think this will be probably, they will be in our store, a special Mike's corner. <laughs> or something. Yeah. Halloween anal will be uh, probably available in the Bolinsky collection portion of the squat cobbler shop. Kelly tool approved. <laughs> the Mike Blinsky quarter. <laughs> so, all right, side two, Spanish bombs. So this is probably the, the to me, the, the first song that's not truly unique and special. I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad song, but this one, to, to Mike's comment a little bit about Rudy Can't Fail, this is this is definitely feels like one you could have heard from a lot of a lot of different different folks it's a good song uh but it just it didn't everything else has been kind of fresh and unique and quintessentially clash this one is is a little almost a little more standard in, in terms of still a good song uh i like it it's just you know it's it's coming after a, a first side of some pretty great stuff and so your expectations are well every one of these is going to roll in and kind of wow me and basically we get a little deeper now and that's what's going to happen again but i thought spanish bombs is a, is a good song probably one of their more of a lot i mean there is a political undercurrent to this and a point of view that, that joe strummer frequently would would get to with his lyrics but about everything and but this one is is kind of tacking to that a lot harder even than the rest. Still a good song. I like it. 
but I've liked the uniqueness of the other stuff a little bit better so far. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. And it's not that I don't like this song. I, I do like it. I think it's just it suffers from the fact that that first side was just so strong. Yeah, it gets a little bit unfair because you're like, how many times are you going to, you know, just kind of hit a hit a 10 out of 10 on stuff, which is basically happening every single song. And this right. is really solid. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. But it just it, it didn't have. To, for me, that special moment that made it unique. Still, obviously, a very good song. Actually, this this section of the album, the, the next three songs, in different different capacities, these are you know love the whole album, love all the songs, but in rank order, probably this this little next section is the the places that that I'm I'm looking forward to coming coming out of, of this third song where we get back in into um, some some pretty pretty fun stuff again, but. Uh, yeah, not not these aren't bad. Right profile is the next song. The one criticism I have for Right Profile is I have listened to this album a lot, and I can just instantly look at any one of these songs and basically remember every moment in the song. Right Profile was the one where I said, "Let me let me go back and play that again for a second. And the second it started to play, I was like, "Ah, okay." there i got it I'm, I'm back there but it just didn't stick with me the way a rudy can't fail or a brand new cadillac or london calling did again we're going into kind of a, a kind of slurry <laughs> delivery from joe montgomery cliff call outs in it uh it's it's kind of a cool fun song but again it just doesn't have some of the the aspects of it that elevate a lot of the other songs for me. But again, back to a uniqueness. This one definitely starts to come back into it. And here's something you haven't heard so far on this album. So I, I completely agree with everything that you said about it. And interestingly, we're very much on the same page because going back through it, even the songs that I'm not as familiar with, like obviously London Calling and Brandon Cadillac and, and some of the other tracks are just staples. And I think most people are at least vaguely familiar with some of the bigger songs, especially the title track, London Calling. The Right Profile was one that, listening to it, I know the song, but it's probably the one I'm least familiar with on the album. Yeah, it's, it's cool that we're, we're tracking that way. And then, we, and then we go into Lost in the Supermarket. So this is the um, first one where... Mick Jones is the, the featured vocalist. Typically, when Clive songs were written, Mick took care of the heavy lifting on the music part of it and the arrangement, and Joe was, was doing the lyrics. Joe did the lyrics for this one, and it was a little bit of, I think, as Mick grew up, I think he lived in a basement apartment with his mom and grandmother, and, and he was Joe was trying to capture a little bit of Lost in the Supermarket what that might have been like in a Joe Strummer kind of way. It's a good song. I'm always going to kind of favor a Joe Strummer sung song over Mick Jones. No, no criticism of Mick, but I'm just, as I mentioned, a big, big Joe Strummer fan. Again, a different sound, a different kind of kind of feel to it, a little melancholy uh, overall. But uh, some great moments in this song. Get to hear Mick take front stage. Yeah, I do like the, the sort of melancholic vibe to it, but... I'm with Kelly again, 100% on this. When I think of The Clash, I think Joe Strummer and his voice. Which we get a lot of in Clampdown. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, there's a there's a couple songs that kind of come up here that are just freight trains. Clampdown is, is one of them that is definitely back to a really, really powerful song. One of the strongest uh, songs on the album, in, in my opinion. Also one of the ones where it's it's obviously got very kind of a, a political point of view that it's driving driving on as well but it is just it is a sledgehammer song it just hammers down another great if you're saying what's clash what's the clash all about clamp down's another good song to listen to yeah absolutely if so in 
vinyl, which is the way you should consume all albums. This was initially released as a double album. If you had to sort of distill this album down, if somebody were to come to me, because there there is what 19 tracks on this so if somebody would come to me and like hey what's i want to learn what's the cliff notes for london calling first off you should listen to the whole thing you shouldn't need cliff notes to this but if i were to kind of narrow down the track list this is one of those songs that i feel like sums up the feel of the clash and the feel of the album i agree i agree completely i think you definitely give them london calling clamp down we'll talk about a couple more here in a sec there are another additions and then you you want to throw in a, either a rudy can't fail or another song we'll i'll mention here in a, in a second to kind of say and it's not all just freight train there's this too and it's kind of fun and awesome as well and yet another interesting turn uh we finish off side two with guns of brixton which was written and sung by paul simonon who is their bass player uh, who wasn't particularly confident of the lyric. Joe kind of kept pushing him to say, no, finish it. Kind of a standout song on here. It is It is because you've gotten out of the whole Jones-Strummer combo. It is unique upon itself in terms of a slightly different song structure and approach. An ominous song. I think Paul does a great job singing it. Uh, it's really fun. It adds another nice counterpoint to where you're just getting this variety of very, very good songs coming right off of Clamp Clampdown where you get 100% Joe Strummer, Mick Jones, Clash vibe. This one here still fits very strongly with the band, but is a definitely different note, but a really strong way to end side two. Yeah, this is, it's not, I wouldn't say it's my favorite song on the album, but it's up there. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. Like Kelly said, it's another turn. I feel like just about every song on this really has such a strong identity. And this is a great example of that. This is something that to me stands up there with London Calling and Rudy Can't Fail and Brand New Cadillac as just not only a strong song and a standout song, but something that really has its own identity. So Kelly, are you, let's go off on a tangent here. Are you familiar with the band Cypress Hill? Um, by familiar, <laughs> I'd, so yes, I'm, I'd, I'll say, I would say uh, I have not studied in Cypress Hill, but I'm familiar with them. Okay, so uh, I'm a Cypress Hill fan and Cypress Hill has a bizarre i'm not even gonna say good bizarre cover of this song and i say bizarre because and again i'm a i'm a huge clash fan i'm a big cypress hill fan and if anybody i wouldn't say they're necessarily line up in an obvious way cypress hill and the clash but there's there's a little more crossover than you'd expect like cypress hill is known for for their diverse sounds on their albums uh mixing together songs that are reggae influenced with songs that are more rock and metal influenced to things that are influenced by old school hip hop music. They're also known for incorporating a lot of unconventional instrumentation and song arrangements and things like that. So it wasn't really a surprise to a lot of people, I think, that they were influenced by The Clash. And that being a given, it wasn't necessarily a surprise that they would cover a Clash song. What was weird about it is they went a very different direction with the song and essentially covered the music pretty much note for note. It's, like it's a pretty faithful rendition on the music part of the song, but decided to rework the lyrics into a very uncharacteristically upbeat song, which not only doesn't really fit with the original, but doesn't fit Cypress Hill. Because <laughs> one of the consistent things about them, even though their sound is wildly diverse from album to album and sometimes even song to song they tend towards dark ominous sounds and subject matter so to take a song that is by a band that clearly influenced them 
and something that seems in their wheelhouse stylistically and tonally they decided to go in a totally very strange direction with it that and again wouldn't necessarily be strange from someone else but just doesn't make a lot of sense but it's an interesting i guess thing to mention when you're discussing this song that that cover does exist regardless of i'm not sure if it's a good cover or not but it exists yeah that that's confusing on multiple levels because if if i were to be picking a song to cover then i said i want to brighten up a little bit guns of brixton would be on the bottom of my list (laughs) it's just it's it's odd it's a really really strange and again it's cypress hill's a diverse band they're they're visibly influenced by the clash there's a lot of rock and reggae elements to their sounds it's not surprising they would cover a song it's not even surprising they would necessarily choose this song to cover because it's something that on the surface seems very much in their wheelhouse but it's strange because they were like all right let's throw away the lyrics and write a song that's about picking up a woman at a bar and it's kind of an upbeat fun song which is uncharacteristic of them as a band so i never really got it necessarily but I will send you a link so you can include it in the blog post for anybody who's interested. Yeah, I'm very intrigued to to hear that. It, it makes no sense to me. <laughs> so I'm going to It's odd and it's strange because I know a lot of people who really really like that song. The song was sort of a minor hit for them. It's not one of their most popular songs, but it was played on the radio and it, it became sort of a minor hit for them, but I think it was more I want to say from my own experience with it, it's a song that played well for people who were not Clash or Cypress Hill fan. <laughs> so people who didn't necessarily realize this was a cover and a cover that diverged greatly from the original and a song that's not even really reflective of Cypress Hill. Yep. I'm looking forward to hearing that and definitely will include it in the blog post. So we move on to side three. Uh, Wrong Umboyo uh, is the first song on there. It's actually uh, written by Clive Alfonso. Uh, also, this is, is an interesting song because before we get into Wrong Umboyo, Joe whip, whips out several of the, the lyrics to Stagger Lee, also written by Clive Alfonso. Um, and so he does, the, the band's kind of tuning up, getting ready to go, Joe singing these lyrics and uh, for Stagger Lee and he kind of stops and Mick goes start all over again. And so it's this kind of initial, I don't want to call it Sinatra E <laughs> delivery, but it's a almost a it's kind of a fairly faithful staggerly kind of delivery initially. And then it goes into this kind of bright horn reggae poppy little uh, number called Wrong Umboyo that has not lightweight lyrics to it. It's it's pretty, you know, it's 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 a, it's a good listen in terms of the lyrical content as well. But just another one of these really kind of joyful songs, hard to hard to, you know, sit still when you hear Wrong and Boyo. And it was just kind of that neat little staggerly leading into Wrong and Boyo is also very very cool. So a, another very strong point on this album. Yeah, it's definitely something that sticks out to me. I'd forgotten about the the staggerly part of the song, but was pleasantly surprised listening back to it again. And then, of course, remembered that it was a part of it. So many bands have covered Staggerly over the years, and I think to really sort of mixed results. But, you know, I, I just think this this mix of the two works out really well. I don't know if it was directly referencing this the way that they did it, but the Sex Pistols had a song where they do something similar, where there's like part of a cover of one song and then it goes into something else. But theirs is intentionally like really bad and sloppy, and it has a similar sort of 
delivery to it. So I, I don't know if they were referencing this or if it was just coincidental. Yeah, it's it's a it's a kind of unique and special moment on an album of lots of special moments. And speaking of special moments, uh, we're back to the freight train, Death or Glory. <laughs> so this is two thousand percent clash. Roars through clearly if you go back to that list of what's the cliff notes for this one. Death or Glory is definitely on that list because it really captures all that is awesome about The Clash. Some interesting lyrical moments uh, in, in Death or Glory that I'm not going to go into in a great deal, though, but it's it's good song and uh, takes no prisoners and one of the strongest tracks on a soul album. Yeah, I agree. It's one of the strongest tracks and definitely one of those Cliff Notes tracks. There's not really a whole lot more that I could add to it than that. Then we get to Coca-Cola with K's. I'm assuming for copyright reasons. <laughs> I don't have a ton. I mean, it, so it's it's coming off the heels of uh, Death or Glory, uh, which has got so much energy and so much punch that I think that that hurts this song a little bit. This is a good song. There's nothing wrong with it, but you've just kind of had them at their absolute finest. And this one's, it, it's just a, a, a more of a kind of lingering song. It just it 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 just kind of it doesn't have the punch uh, to it, and it doesn't bring in uh, the kind of crazy uniqueness of a Rongomboyo or like Guns of Brixton or all that. So it's it's a it's a good song, but it's just like you know you're just kind of you're coming off of Death or Glory, and boy, who's ever who's ever after Death or Glory has got a tough job. And Coca Cola does okay. Uh, I don't have really much more to, to say on that one. Yeah, I think a lot like Spanish Bombs. This I don't I don't want to say suffers, but it has the the unenviable task of coming after a string of just classic, super memorable songs. Yeah, without having that truly unique moment in it that says, "Yeah, I can play with these boys." Because I mean, again, there's nothing absolutely there's nothing wrong with this song, but it's just there's so many of these other things that just light it up. So we finish side three with the card cheat, and this one, while most you know, I've kind of been calling out when it hasn't been written by Joe and and um, Nick, but uh, this one is actually the only track on London Calling that all all the members of, of the Clash are credited on given writing credits for it. And I almost wonder if the card sheet was uh, a track from a previous album, one that hadn't made its way on yet. It's a good song. They've kind of come to a new sound a little bit with London Calling. And, and this one doesn't seems like it might have predated that shift to me a little bit at least uh it's a good song but it's probably more at home on one of the earlier albums than this one but a good song i think you articulated something that i was trying to get in in my notes but didn't quite get there the idea that this is something that might have been a little more at home on a previous album than on london calling which doesn't make it a bad song but <laughs> no not at all yeah again and again going back to there's no skips on this for me nope all right, we're in the home stretch, side four, Lovers Rock. So when, you know, I think the what made the clash great was the kind of interplay between Joe Strummer and Mick Jones that Joe would, would always probably be bringing in the heavier sound, the stronger political point, some of the eclectic stuff, particularly into kind of the reggae and, and some of that. And I think to, I think making it as hard as like, Hey, I'm, I'm a, I'm a rocker. I want to write rock songs and I want to kind of have an urban feel to it and do these, uh, the, these other things into kind of just music for music's sake or something. I think Joe's sometimes music for making a point. And I'm probably exaggerating each of their points to you a little bit, but I think this is what they each kind of brought to the table. And so for most, to me, most of, London Calling to this point, it's it's they it's always a good push and pull between the two, but it was always kind of like and eh, and and Joe had the slightly higher amount of influence over this song and that one. Lovers Rock strikes me as one that Mick 
kind of <laughs> prevailed on. Not that that's a bad thing, but it it uh, it is again becoming a little bit more a little bit more uh, straightforward rock, but a very good song. Yeah, again, we're we're very much in line on this record. It's not one that would make the the cliff notes for me because I don't feel like it a hundred percent encompasses what I think of when I think of the Clash like you were saying, but still a really strong song. And then I think Joe got back in charge <laughs> for Four Horsemen. Yes. Cliff Note song for sure. It's the death or glory of side four. <laughs> and uh, it was it was a kind of, you could you could just tell the, the passion in the delivery of it. They were serious about kind of putting this out. And this is, you know, Joe at some of his best in terms of vocals. And this is like death or glory, clamp down. This is just really really strong stuff another very very good song yeah 100 percent a cliff note song yeah there there's not a whole lot more to say about it just really strong and again it encompasses what i think of when i think of the clash there's just certain songs and certain elements that immediately pop into my mind and it's it's a little bit unfair to summarize the clash that way because as we've said going through this just on this album alone there's so much diversity and, and there's so much happening and so many unique identities to each of these songs that it's almost unfair to do that um to to kind of boil the band down to that but if i were going to do that this is one of those songs i'm with you 100 percent. and then we go into i'm not down mick mick takes over lead vocals on on this one this harkens back to the earlier punk roots of these the one that probably gets a little bit closer to a flavor of that uh, it's still a pretty bright song uh so it's it's not kind of your your sex pistols punk or your misfits punk but it's it's got a little bit more of that kind of energy uh and it definitely kind of clips along uh really really well um again this one is maybe one where i think it probably reflects a little bit of mix passion for how a song should come out a little bit more than maybe joe's but another good song yeah, I agree. Really good song. Like I said before, though, not not to kind of repeat myself and repeat what Kelly said. I when I think of the Clash, that Joe Strummer sound is what pops into my head first. Not to detract from this. And then the last track on the album, or is it, <laughs> is Revolution Rock. <laughs> dun dun dun. Could be. Maybe there's a surprise coming. Uh, this is another cover, originally performed by Danny Ray and the Revolutionaries who weren't particularly creative if they're writing a song called Revolution Rock and they're Danny Ray and the Revolutionaries, but probably uh, the reggae influence and the horns kind of come into this one. It's a challenge with this album because I don't know how you, if this were to be the last song, um, I don't know how you finish this off because there's just been so much stuff. I mean, do you want the album to finish with something like Four Horsemen or Death or Glory or or this one, which is just them exercising, showing their ability to be a, a good band? It's a it's a very enjoyable song. It is unique uh, in in terms of sound. Again, you know, we keep getting this all the way through the album. Great vocals by Joe again. So it's a it's a, a good song, but it you know it's it's not one of those freight train songs, but it's still a really good one. Yeah, you bring up something really interesting. This and I, of course you know at the time I'm sure every band hopes for the best, but I'm sure they weren't thinking this is going to become a classic album. This is going to become an album that decades later people are still debating and putting somewhere near the top of their best album lists, including major publications, not just us here on a podcast, but you know, you mentioned Rolling Stone, and there's so many other major publications that would rank this as one of the top albums. I, I think it's difficult to think of what could, you know, really finish off this album and be the air quotes last song on it. Yeah. 
So so maybe that's the way they did what they did, <laughs> because what was for most of the pressings for the longest time, uh, there's a 19th track on on that. And it was the single <laughs> on off of, of this album, Train in Vain. But it was it was typically it wasn't listed on the album. It wasn't uh, on the cover. It wasn't listed on the um, the vinyl itself, the label and the vinyl itself. It wasn't listed on there, but it was there. And they, they would have a sticker on there saying includes the hidden track, which is makes it not so hidden. Uh, but uh, Train in Vain, which was the Clash's first really kind of major success in terms of getting radio play. This lacks the gravitas of a, a Death or Glory or Four Horsemen, Clampdown, London Calling. So it, it doesn't kind of capture that part of the Clash. But in terms of this is a, a, a rock band or a band you want to hear and enjoy, it's hard not to love Train in Vain. And uh, it's just, it's peppy. It's fun. It's just a great, it's a great tune. It's not, you know, blatantly a commercial swing to say, this is our song. We're going to get radio play. Although when you kind of look at its construction, it's like, it's obviously well suited for, for people to like uh, as, as well. But I think it's, it is kind of a good way to say, okay. And at the end, we'll show you that, you know, if we want to get on the radio a lot, we can do that and stay, uh, keep our integrity and do all that. So I think training veins is a really kind of nice way to end the album. I agree with that. And, you know, we mentioned how the clasher or, largely considered a punk band they're not punk in the way of the sex pistols the misfits and i think it's unfair to just list them as a punk band because they did have so many influences and and played around in the sandboxes of so many different genres and styles but i really can't think of anything more punk rock than making your single the hidden track on the album couldn't couldn't have said it better and it's a it's a cool way to end a fantastic album so so the i guess i don't know if this is good news for you mike but you have now experienced two thirds of what you're going to go through when I eventually ask you to talk about Sandinista. <laughs> so, which is a triple, a triple album set. And also, um, probably, well, not as successfully as, as uh, London Calling, but uh, another uh, album that goes many different places. So, it's, this, this gives you an idea of pacing yourself <laughs> to say we'd be, <laughs> we'd be two thirds done with Sandinista at this point in time. I'm looking forward to it. You got to dedicate a week to get back and <laughs> get get through that thing cover to cover because there's a lot. All right. Well, this was this was fun. I, I really this this has been my go-to album for any uh, electrical device. So when first you know get a, get a new record player, uh, first vinyl is going to be London Calling. And I got my first CD player. First CD played in it was London Calling. First download london calling <laughs> and so it's it's always it's always my go-to because um it's just some great amazing music and it's a i just love this album i think you could do a lot worse than making this your your first in each new media that comes out it holds up and that's an, the other thing that's pretty cool about this is there's not a lot of dating this is a 1979 uh album and you don't it's as fresh you know it, it you don't you don't feel that that dating that uh, you, you get from some other stuff in that era. So well done. And I think part of what gives it that sense of being fresh and not sounding dated is the fact that it is so diverse. It helps a ton. And the fact that they're already tapping into different eras and all that too. So it's, it kind of inoculates itself from saying, oh, yeah, I'm of this era because it's, it's all over the place and the diversity that serves it well. All right, uh, gang that, uh, that wraps up this album review. Uh, Mike and I'll be back talking about something. We kept, I would say, the tangent count. I'll go back and 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 check there. I think it was, I think it was only like a two. I think it was only like a two tangent count for this one. So that's that's a 
for a double album set, that's pretty impressive. Right? See, we did get most of it out of our systems. And I say we in our. Yeah, yeah, I heard you. <laughs> so, well, on that note, I would like to encourage you, if you have the opportunity, uh, to go to our blog and subscribe to it so that you can uh, hear when or see when there are new updates to it. And you can listen to uh, our podcast that way or go to iTunes and subscribe. Or if you go onto YouTube uh, and search on Squat Gobbler or Kelly Tool, you will find our uh, YouTube channel that has all the Squat Cobblers and issues and supports on it. And subscribing on YouTube is another fine way to stay connected to when we're putting out new stuff. So if you get a chance, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Uh, 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 uh,